0: Yes, it is Canuck Central, Satya Shaw with my man Jamie Dodd here on Sportsnet 650. And Canuck Central is presented to you by your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. You can always get in touch with us on our text inbox, Dunbar Lumber650-650. 650 650. And a lot to get to when it comes to your Vancouver Canucks. Never a shortage shortage of conversations and topics to be had around the Canucks. And, of course, Boudreaux's future has been discussed quite extensively uh, the past few days or so. And that's not really somewhere we're going today. Because I think we've said everything that needs to be said. And, And yesterday we talked about it, Jamie, right? That, hey, a decision will be made. By the time the season is over and the Canucks want to head into the offseason with some clarity behind the bench. And I I do think the only thing I'll say, and I mentioned this yesterday, don't just assume he's gone.
1: Right. It almost swung from disbelief that it could even be a question to now people almost assuming, oh, I guess it's over. (laughs) He's leaving. It's it's done. (laughs) We don't know. We don't know. Again, probably, as you said, expect a decision you know, sometime this month before the end of the
0: season. But yeah, it, the writing is not quite on the wall yet for Bruce Boudreaux. No, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to know exactly where it's at and be like, oh yeah, this percentage of chance that he comes back. But if I, if you if you put a if you put a gun to my head and said, hey, guess what's going to happen? Does Boudreaux come back next season or not? My guess would be yes. They'll, they'll bring him back. Because again, like it's all, it's all the stuff we talked about. Like look at the record. It's not easy to find somebody else or something that's going to work out. Even if you have different ideas. Now, obviously, if you have it in your mind that you want to go down a different road and different philosophy, then now's the time to make that move and bring somebody in early in the offseason and head into next year. I just don't know if that's actually going to you know, come to pass. It
1: just seems like it would have to be such a perfect storm for it to actually happen. Like the exact right perfect candidate would have to be out there And I think there would also have to be some sort of real significant disagreement about philosophy between Boudreaux and the team. You're not going to make that change just for the sake of making a change, right? Just to, oh, you know what? We'll try this guy out instead of Boudreaux. It would have to be something very, very specific. It could happen. But I don't think they're going to do it, you
0: know, just because, just to change things up. Right. It's not just because, hey, listen, we don't like wrestling. so (laughs) we're tired of the belts. (laughs) We can't have this coach who likes wrestling because we just don't. I mean, it's it's not going to be something like that, right? So we'll see what happens. And yeah, you know, two minutes. That's how much time we spent on uh, Bruce Boudreaux. There you go. In and out. All right. Uh, Now, what everything else with the Canucks. And now we are going to have a conversation about the offseason and, okay. What should be the priority? We'll talk about that. And also, if I give you a list of the five most valuable Canucks, we all know who the top four are, right? Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, and of course, JT Miller. Who's the fifth? You can also include coaches. No management. Coaches or players? Who's the fifth? We'll talk about that coming up. But also as far as newsworthy items, because of some injuries on the Canucks back end, Tucker Pullman's ongoing situation, we probably don't see him the rest of the season, sadly because of his ongoing head issues that he's still dealing with. Quinn Hughes has been ill, and we're not quite sure when or if he's going to join the team on this quick road trip here. So we'll see what his status is. So we are most likely going to see Jack Rathbone play. And we've seen him play already this season. It's not like we're, we're getting our first look at him. We've seen, you know, a little spell here and there. He's played some time in AHL. But this regime hasn't seen him play an NHL game. Bruce Boudreaux hasn't seen him play an NHL game. And let's assume for a moment Boudreaux is coming back. How instructive can the ice time that Rathbone gets here be for him and the organization well
1: it's going to be really interesting to see not just how he looks playing under bruce boudreau for the first time right and playing in a bit of a new system perhaps given different responsibilities asked to do some different things but also just to see what kind of difference the seasoning in the ahl made for jack rathbone because i i know he's been in and out with injuries and covid but he's spent a long continuous chunk of time now playing for the Abbotsford Canucks, Mm -hmm. and you hope to see some of that development away from the puck in his own end. You know, There's not a lot of question about what he can do offensively. I I know he didn't necessarily get the bounces to really rack up numbers uh, when he was up to start the season, but you could tell he was doing a lot of good things with the puck to drive offense for his team. The questions, of course, are coming in his own end. So it's not as if he has to come back from the AHL and all of a sudden be a completely polished, fantastic defensive player. But you want to see those signs of progress, right? You want to see, okay, this is a guy that maybe we're not going to pencil him in to our our, our top six next year on the blue line, but at least there's a strong chance we can use him. There's a strong chance he can mm-hmm. make the team next year at a training camp.
0: Yeah, and given what Alveen and Rutherford themselves have said about development and how they can take their time with guys, and especially what Stan Smeal told us last week in Abbotsford, that there is no such thing as a guy being over-seasoned. What needs to happen to keep a guy in the minors is having players above him that doesn't tempt the organization to just put this guy in the NHL because you don't have any other options, and this guy gives you the best chance to be successful. Now, that doesn't mean you go out there and bury your guys by getting a bunch of uh, veterans on long-term deals, but it's more about having manageable placeholders that can keep a guy at bay if he's not really ready. So even if they like what they see from Rathbone, I would guess that what they would do is bring somebody in to play that role. And if Rathbone comes in and is so good he beats them out, then great. But if not, like you mentioned, go back to the minors. We'll take our time. You come back and play. But I do think what it does is maybe give them a better timeline. So instead of looking at it and saying, okay, you know, uh, we got to bring a guy in on a one-year deal on a third pair role to give us some depth. Or if they don't like what they see, they might look at it and say, we got to find a solution. And that's going to be the question for me, that, okay, can we just give ourselves a year to figure out if this guy can be a real impact player for us? Or do we think that that's unlikely, so we have to move on and find somebody else? I think that's maybe the most interesting thing here that the management team might consider when they watch him play in the NHL. And you look at the Canucks' left side, we know they already have Quinn Hughes, of course, OEL, he's not going
1: anywhere this offseason. Travis Dermott uh, is under contract for next year as well, and that's a team, that's a player that the organization went out and, yeah. and targeted and acquired and gave up a, a decent draft pick to get, so they obviously like his potential. Now, Dermott can play on the right side as well, so that opens up a little bit of flexibility, but there's already a bunch of options ahead of Jack Rathbone on the depth chart, and that's before you can get to, you know, could they bring someone like Brad Hunt, who's played very well for the organization, back for another year uh, with the club next season. So it's not going to be a situation where Jack Rathbone just walks into a starting job with the uh, with the Canucks next year. There's already going to be people that he has to beat out. And to your point, I think pretty much no matter what he shows in the final segment of the season here, this Canucks management group is going to be very mindful about having appropriate depth in front of of Jack Rathbone next year, right? Whether it's a guy like Brad Hunt, Travis Dermott, or whoever else they might acquire, having those people who can credibly play NHL games in the organization so you don't have to rush Rathbone. You don't feel forced to get him games.
0: Right, and that's going to be the big, big, I think issue they, they deal with here watching Jack Rathbone play and you know like somebody mentioned on our text inbox 65650 Rathbone's game might be better suited under Boudreaux than Green is an unsigned or Ross and Richmond who brought that point up and we'll see ultimately but based on how they want to play in the quick ups it does play into Jack Rathbone's skill set and his abilities and it could really work out for him in that sense, right? So I think it would be instructive, again, to see him, especially under Boudreaux. And and if you are bringing him back next season, I think you do want to see how that player could potentially fit in, not just, you know, this season and next year, but long term. Well, and this team has been desperate for more offense from the back
1: end, right? And that's despite Quinn Hughes, but just defensemen who can consistently contribute offensively and even more so maybe put the puck in the net once in a while uh, as well, which, does has done a very good job of this year at Abbotsford. He's up over a point per game, eight goals in 30 games for the Abbotsford Canucks. So he can fill, even with Quinn Hughes already on the roster, this is still a Canucks team that needs to find more consistent offensive production from the blue line. From that standpoint, you know, he has a skill set that can work with the Canucks that they need. But he also has to show, as we've been saying, that he's made those improvements
0: in the defensive end and that he can beat out some of the other credible options they have. Right, and and that's the thing. And how many of those options on the back end – are actually going to be here next season too. And that kind of leads us into the off-season priorities for this team. I think it's very obvious. The number one priority for this team is clearing cap space. So that's the number one priority. They've come out and said it. Stan Smeal said it last week too. Unprompted, he brought up, he's like, what we got to do this off-season is find a way to clear cap space. That's the biggest thing we have to do this off-season. So it's, it's the central theme of what they're doing. As far as specifically addressing an area of need, however... What is a priority in that sense? The organization has pretty much said it's the back end. But if we get more specific, what could be the top priority? Well,
1: it's interesting because, yeah, we went, we just ran through the left side of defense, right? And you're pretty set there already with Hughes, OEL, Travis Dermott, Jack Rathbone pushing as well. You know, that's... That's players that you feel pretty good about in their roles on the left side. But the right side has a lot more question marks, right? People really like what Luke Shen has done this year, but not necessarily a guy you want in your top four. You know, I think there's questions about Tyler Myers. Could he be a player they look to move? Tucker Poolman it could be in the same category. So there's obviously room to add and room to kind of shape things up on the right side. And I don't know if I would call it the top priority, but it does seem, if you just look at it, kind of take a snapshot of the blue line, the most kind of glaringly obvious place you would want to make a change for me is probably finding somebody to play with Quinn Hughes instead of Luke Shen. And that's no disrespect to what Luke Shen has done in that role this year. He's been very, very good at it. And there's a reason for that. He he compliments Mm -hmm. Quinn Hughes very well. But you also know that's not a long-term thing, and that's not a pairing that's going to drive you to the next level as a team, right, that's going to help this team get to be a consistent contender. And look, you don't have to find that kind of long-term perfect partner for Quinn Hughes this offseason, but if they're out there, if you can at least start the process and see, okay, hey, we like this player, how does he work with Quinn as his partner – that's important. Like finding that guy to play with Quinn Hughes
0: long term is going to be really, really key for them. It is. It is a absolute key, and it's a long term issue they have to solve. However, like you mentioned, Luke Shen allows you to kick that can down the road a year. And here's the other obvious thing. You're not going to be able to solve all your issues in one offseason. You're not going to be able to clear cap space and then find the defenseman you want, uh, find the forwards you want, and fill out your team and be ready to go and compete for the Stanley Cup as soon as next season. It's going to take a couple of years for you to fill all those things. So at the very least, if you have Luke Shen in the fold, you know that you have a placeholder. You have something that can work. And you know that you, don't, you can kick the can down the road a year. Because to me, the number one issue this team has to tackle outside of clearing cap space Because this player is not going anywhere. How do you get the best out of Oliver ekman Larson? And how do you get to partner with him this offseason? So clearing cap space, I think it's obvious the guys that get talked about, right? the inefficient contracts. I think a guy like Myers makes a lot of sense if you can move him out to clear that money out. And that's also OEL's partner. And they played well early this season, but that has reached the absolute peak of his utility and it's done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they rode that thing until the wheels completely fell off and they got a lot out of it, right? But now it's it's very obvious this is not a long-term thing that can work out. Oel's not going anywhere. Maybe you buy him out, but that can't happen for at least three to four years from now. So at the very least, you got to find a way, how do I get the best out of Oliver Ekman Larson at 7.26 million on the cap for three to four more years at least? How do we do that? Finding a partner for him might be the easier thing to tackle this offseason. And it might be the most critical thing this team has to tackle as far as the back end goes. But it's also the kind of thing, as you said, with Tyler
1: Myers, because he's an obvious candidate. As everyone talks about, we talk about, the team talks about, they want to clear salary cap space. Tyler Myers is a pretty obvious candidate for that, right? right? As a guy to move to clear that salary cap space. So you're probably looking external then to go out and find that partner with Oliver ekman Larson, But you still got to try to do it on a budget. And, you know, I don't want to say replicate the Luke Shen thing because that's easier said than done. And is that the right style of player to play with OEL? There's all of those questions, but I mean, really what you're talking about, I don't think you want to go out and make another long-term big money commitment to find somebody to play with Oliver Ekman Larson, right? Like at a certain point that's kind of throwing good money after bad. So it's an important position to fill and you want to have somebody with OEL that can kind of fill that shutdown role, play some of those heavy minutes as your second pair but you don't want to spend an arm and a leg to do it, and that's that's a hard, hard task, right, to find a right-handed defenseman that can take
0: on that kind of role without giving up too much. But I also think when we hear what type of player the Canucks are looking for, they're looking for an offensive or a, a right-hand defenseman, like you mentioned, that's good at moving the puck, that can add some offense. That's not a guy you're trying to put with Queen Hughes. So I think, again, you know how we talk about the organization sure. is essentially yep. telling you what they're looking to do? We'd love to get another defenseman, a guy that moves the puck, preferably on the right side. The things that Boudreaux's talked about, the organization's kind of mentioned as far as what they need to do on the back end. So it's obvious. Again, we're sitting here talking about you know what they have to prioritize. The organization is telling you in some sort of a way what they're looking for because— and somebody texted in and said, our number one D-man needs someone else. That concerns me. I don't think it's so much about the D-man needing somebody else. If anything, you know that Quinn and Shen can work because Quinn can elevate a guy like Quinn, like uh, Luke Shen alongside of him. That's how good Quinn has been, that you can play him with somebody who's imperfect to get the best out of him, or at least allow him to get close to his potential. OEL can't do that right now, or at least right. hasn't been able to. We haven't seen that happen yet, right? And... If they are able to move one of their forwards, which ultimately they may have to do, the priority comes back to a defenseman. Now, if you say get that established defenseman like John Marino, maybe that becomes a Hughes partner too, or something. You know what I mean? Like if 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 but, you go down that road, but in the could you try season, that with OEL? As you could, well, you could right? as, well, as you right? said, If they're looking for somebody with that puck moving ability to pair
1: with OEL, maybe, yeah. maybe we're looking at it wrong. Maybe we're saying, oh, John Marino for Quinn Hughes, but maybe it could
0: actually be at least in the short term a solution as a guy to play with uh, Oliver Ekman Larson. Precisely. So that to me. Comes down to number one priority. It's not just about, hey, we need another defenseman. It's also a defenseman that can work well with a guy that is getting paid a lot of money. Yeah. And that you need, there's no, you know, there's no taking a magic wand
1: and getting out of that. Right. All the Reckman Larson is a fact of life for this team, for the immediate and probably medium term, at least. Right. As you said, maybe a buyout happens down the road at some point who knows but for right now he is a fact of life for the Canucks and you have he's going to be in your top 4 and you have to find a way to get the most out of him just to the the texture who said you know it concerns him that our number 1 D man needs somebody else to play with look as you said Quinn Hughes can get the most out of a player like Luke Shem but I think we all know in the ideal version of this team Quinn Hughes has a better partner to play with, mm-hmm. right? Like, you still have to find a decent partner for yeah. them to play with. It's not just, oh, you're a number one defenseman. Play with anyone. If you're a contending team,
0: you're going to find a good partner even for your stud defenseman. Oh, it makes a pairing better. Like, Jeffro nails it. If you're Hughes's partner, then you can have one of the best pairings in the league. Exactly. Right? And that's what it comes down to. Do you just want to have a pairing that's a top four pairing, and it's a pretty good top pairing, or an elite top pairing? That's that's what we're talking about. But because you know you're getting, at the very least, a legitimate you know high end pairing as long as Quinn is on it you can live with Shen and i think that allows you some flexibility and again bringing back to the trade deadline as much as they considered moving Shen and i think part of it like they mentioned was character and all that sort of stuff but if you just plan on building your team out he gives you somebody who's a solid placeholder now we talked about can you have somebody in place of Rathbone for a year, that so you don't, you're don't you not forced to right. throw him into the deep end type of deal. Shen allows you to do that as far as who you bring into play with Quinn Hughes long-term, or whether that works out for an extra year or so. So if you're not getting this extreme value back in return, you're not trading Luke Shen, because the value of you keeping him and other things you can do, the options it gives you, is greater or was greater at the deadline than trading him for a second round pick or a third round pick or whatever the offer was.
1: And the Canucks are just still in that pro- point where... They only have so many efficient contracts, right? They don't they only have so many guys who are clearly outpaying their contracts and giving you that surplus value. And Luke Shen's one of those guys, right? As a guy who's making eight hundred and fifty thousand, who's playing on your top pairing with yeah. your best defenseman and doing it credibly, that's tremendous value. The Canucks just don't have a lot of those players. So for them to give up on one, as you said, you know, they're not they're not in a position where they can trade
0: Luke Shen and then go out and easily spend, you know, two and a half, three million to replace him. They don't
1: have that kind of cap room right now.
0: Right. And, you know, and I see other people kind of talking about Quinn, ultimately, what is his potential and everything like that. Pronger's name comes up. And and I think here's the separation. And I think it's fine for you to want Quinn Hughes to become a Hall of Famer, one of the best defensemen of all time. But you can be an, a high end elite number one defenseman and not be one of the greatest defensemen right. of all time, right? Like, Chris Bronger is... <laughs> like, neither my... and, and I. get And I get the point, but there are some guys that are transcendent. They're not just number one defensemen. They're not just franchise defensemen. They're Hall of Fame arguably one of the best defensemen of all time can Quinn get there perhaps but he he's at the very least a legitimate top pairing defenseman now to get to that next level there's still some room can he get to that level right and yeah. to that real you know Hall of Fame one of the greatest of all I mean, time defenses
1: Chris pronger won a heart trophy not, yes. not just a Norris he won a heart trophy as a defender which is extraordinarily difficult to do that's the kind of impact he was having on the game at his peak and I, hey it would be amazing if Quinn Hughes gets there but he can be a, a franchise defenseman without getting quite to that level. And you know, the example I would bring up is uh Kale McCarr and Devontae's playing together in yeah. Colorado, right? Like Colorado has Kale McCarr, who is a tier above uh Quinn Hughes, as a legitimate Norris contender this year, but they still went out and got a player like Devontae's that they can pair with him and now they have one of the, if not the best pairings in the league, right? Just because
0: you have one good player, you can still try to complement them with other really good players. Absolutely. And, you know, as far as great defensemen go, well, we have a Hall of Fame, one of the greatest defensemen of all time, joining us a bit later on this show, Paul Coffey is going to join us at 4 o'clock here. So next hour, stay tuned for a conversation with Paul Coffey, and we'll talk about Quinn Hughes, of course. And coming up a bit later at 3.30, we have Dan Rosen coming up next segment, Scott Wheeler to talk some NHL draft at 4.30, and Irfan Gafar to get the latest on the Canucks at 5, the final hour of Canucks Central. Now, we tease it at the top. And we mentioned this a bit yesterday on the show. We threw the question, you know, we talked to Donnie Taylor about it a little bit. But if you look at the four most important players in this organization, and if you want to include coaches, you can throw this in here too. Hughes, Demko, Pedersen, and Miller with how he's played, right? You know, whatever decision you make on him, like he's entrenched as one of the four most important individuals, player or coach in this team. The question though is, Jamie, who's number five?
1: So this is a very basic, uh basic answer and it's gonna drive our guy Bic Nazar crazy. But I, I do think it's Bo Horvat. <laughs> oh I do I think it. it's Bo Horvat. I knew it. If you just kind of frame this question as other than those four players, who has the best chance or is most likely to be a key player mm-hmm. on the next really good Canucks team? I do still think the answer is Bo Horvat. And I understand the complaints and the concerns about Horvat Horvat, I absolutely do, but when you look at the reality of the the JT Miller situation and how difficult it might be to get him to sign an extension this offseason and what that means for his future, when you consider that and the relative lack of depth that this organization has at the center position, getting the most out of Bo Horvat going forward, getting him to be that legit second line center uh, on a really good team, to have him consistently play to that level, that's kind of the most one of the most impactful, important things that can happen for this team. So I'm mm-hmm. not saying, you know, it's guaranteed that he's going to do that. But if we're just talking importance, right, in, in terms of whether they reach their upside or perform to their ability consistently or not,
0: I do still think the answer is Bo Well, as far as players go, I don't think there's a question. And I've been critical of Bo's season. I've talked about, you know, how he's played this year and, you know, the shortcomings in his game. But but you're right. And I think, you know, sometimes, and I see Rager texting in too, stats going to throw up. And, and him and I have gone back and forth along yeah, this yeah. a lot too. But I've been consistent on Bo. I hate going to extremes, but I've been like, he's not as good as some people think he is. But now it's shifting to the yes. point. It's like he's not as bad as people are making him out and to I be think either.
1: The reason that people are critical of Bo Horvat. Is because he's important to the team. Right? He is. It's because well, you his, want more. Yes,
0: and when you're a captain, I think it's fine to expect more. Like again, multiple things can be true at the same time. Yes, he is without a doubt one of the five most important figures in this organization. But I can also want more.
1: Yeah, and I, that's fair. But right? I think
0: the fact that him
1: needing more is such, a, or needing to give more is such a big talking point. It illustrates how important he is. If he if he is some, I know he turned twenty seven. He's not young. All of that. We can't just oh yeah, he'll develop into a, a great two way center or anything like that. But if he does find a way to round out his game a little bit more, that's massive, massive for the Canucks. So again, in terms of importance, the
0: impact he could potentially have, I think it's Bo Horvat. Well, and as far as overall valuation goes, to Bo Horvat has more value than any other player n- not in the top four we just mentioned. Right? Like he has more value than Besser. He has more value, value, value than Garland. He has more value than Hoaglander and Put Colson. He has more value than any other single player or pick this organization has. So, right? Don't forget, people outside of this market, when we still thought the NHL players were going
1: to be Olympics, there were people outside of this market, not Vancouver homers or anything like that, saying,
0: <laughs> Bo Horvat has a chance to be on Team Canada. Well, well, yeah. And somebody just texted us, you guys are nuts. He's one of the four. I mean, who do you put him over the four? That's my question. Like, oh, you put him over Demko, you put him over Hughes, you put him over Pedersen. You put him over JT Miller. I mean, outside of that, but number five, I think he's definitely top five for sure. He's in that. He's in that conversation. So you put him in there, no doubt. Now, if it's not Bo, who else do you make an argument for? To me, like I don't think you, you can make an argument for any other individual player. I don't. Not now, don't right? Just so. isn't like even even if you think Besser is a better, more productive player, he has no. He doesn't have more value than Bo. He doesn't play center. Doesn't have as much trade value either. Right? It's, it's just fair valuation. If you want to make the case. I've seen somebody text in Ian Clark, and I think that's a strong one, That's a very good one. one. That's That's a a very good one. one. It would be Boudreau. Like, if you believe in Boudreau being an elite-level coach, and he's shown his ability, and that he's a guy you shouldn't be letting go of, and he can build a foundation, and he can build a program, and he's a guy that gets the most out of players, could he be the fifth most important individual, player, or coach?
1: My only concern with Boudreau is longevity and shelf life right because of all of these other players petterson hughes demko even horvat despite the fact that he's going to be a ufa potentially in a year with all of those players and miller's kind of the exception to this but with those other guys you can see a very clear path to them being long long long-term canucks right they're either under contract already or you can easily imagine them signing that long-term contract with boudreaux even if he's back next year You know, does anybody expect Boudreau to be the Canucks coach five seasons from now? Probably not, right? Just given his age, how NHL coaching works, the shelf life he's had in other stops. So in the near term, because of what he can accomplish as an NHL head coach, because of his track record, he is obviously one of the most impactful, important uh, people in the organization. But because of those questions about how long will he actually be around, I I would still have Horvat in front of him.
0: Yeah, I I think... because of the value, there's no valuation attached to Bruce Boudreaux. And and not to commodify players and just turn them into commodities, but as far as the conversation goes, importance and when it comes to hockey, valuation does matter. So I don't think there's any way you can get around Bo Horvat. And I think you can make the point that that's also a problem here for Vancouver. They need to get better. And I'm going through the roster. I'm going through Canucks players. And we made this list, right? And part of me was thinking, I mean, could you make an argument for Oliver Ekman Larson? Not because of the valuation he has, but because of the ticket next to him and them having to get the most out of him, right? I mean, if they can't get Oel to play better than this year and he was fine this year. he was he played he played he's played like a top four defenseman he has. But he's not playing like a seven point two six million dollar defenseman, I mean, he's got he's under contract for six more years. Like getting the most out of him to me is one of the most important things this organization has to figure out because they can trade him. But you're right. Beyond that, you
1: start going through the list of players, and okay, Besser if he can regain some of his form, but I mean. You know, Brock Besser on a Stanley Cup team. He's probably your fourth or fifth best forward, right? Something like that. You kind of go down the list. Connor Garland, you know, Pod Colson. Okay, great potential, but to put to elevate him with the rest of those players is really just kind of wishing. At this point, you're right. There's not a lot of depth in terms of guys you can look at and say that's going to be a long-term impactful player for the team or impactful piece for the Canucks.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, keep your thoughts coming in to our text inbox six fifty six fifty. Lively text coming in, I love it. Keep those coming in. Um, we are going to continue the conversation with the Canucks throughout the show here, and we have Dan Rosen joining us on the other side as Canucks Central continues on Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Central. Presented to you by your local Grip Auto and Tire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at GripAuto.ca today. Satyar Shah with Jamie Dodd. Get in touch, touch with us on our Dumbbard Lumber Text Inbox 650-650. We are going to be joined by Dan Rosen. Coming up in a couple minutes, we'll get into everything happening around the National Hockey League. And we'll get his thoughts on the season that's been for the Canucks. And, you know, the coach, Boudreaux himself said, you know, it was kind of funny listening to him, right? And coaches—they never give up on the playoff hopes until it's done. And he was asked about Hoaglander. He's like, "Well, I guess if we make the playoffs, there's a chance he comes back." And it's like, you know, you know, God bless you, man. God bless you, yeah. Boudreaux. Tell, tell us he's done for the season without telling us he's done for the season. <laughs> yeah, you we know, make the playoffs. He might come back. So it's you know, so until it's over, it's not over. Uh, not for coaches and for players, but you know, the Canucks are very much flirting with that line as oh, yeah. it is, right? Um. But we'll get to that coming up in a minute uh, with Dan Rosen, but also what's happening around the National Hockey League, whether it's the heart uh, trophy race, uh, goal scoring is up around the league, which we outlined and talked uh, about, Jamie. So it's one of those things that, you know, I, I kind of go through and I'm like, all right, we're hitting, hitting the postseason in a very interesting year across the National Hockey League. And to talk about that and more, let's welcome in Dan Rosen, NHL.com, into the conversation here on Canuck Central. Dan, always a pleasure getting you on the show. How you feeling, man?
2: I'm good, guys. How are you?
0: Hey, uh, hey, we can't complain. The sun actually came out this afternoon in Vancouver, so we're feeling delightful <laughs> here today. Uh, and, and as far as you know, we'll start with what's happening in Vancouver. And it's been one of those real topsy-turvy seasons. But I don't think there is um, any disagreement about the job Bruce Boudreau has done and how much of a success he's been. What's kind of your take on watching the situation unfold in Vancouver since Boudreau took over, and the fact now when it looks like they're out of the playoff race?
2: Yeah, well, I think he brought them back to relevancy and he made games matter in April, you know, at least late March, right? And and that didn't look like it was going to happen before the coaching change happened. And I don't know if that was all Travis Green or whatever it may be, but Bruce Negro came in and he infused life into this team. Uh, I don't want to say franchise because I think the franchise has life, but the team didn't have it. Uh, and he infused the life and he, uh, he infused life into guys like Elias Petterson, Twin Hughes, you know. And that's big. This, you know, if if the season had continued the way it was going, it would have been a major regression year for the Canucks uh, after a regression year, which is not good. So now I don't think you can say that. uh I think that they are heading. Oh, we'll see what happens in the off season, but at least they can, you know, have some positivity based off of what happened, and, and you know, they got a lot of games coming up. Here at home you know ideally you, you want to finish strong they have not played well at home with late we know that but you know if you can finish strong even miss the playoffs and finish strong that'll bode well for them and it'll give them a little bit of positivity but I think that's what Bruce has brought in there and I knew that he was going to do it he's done it in all the stops he's made across the National Hockey League he brings an air of positivity he brings this a freedom for players, and that's exactly what has happened in Vancouver.
1: Well, and it's interesting, Dan, because despite the success the team has had under Boudreau, there's been some discussion here locally that because of Boudreau's contract status and maybe Patrick Alvine will want to hire his own coach, that there's actually a chance Boudreau might not be back behind the Canucks bench next year. And, you know, if I had to kind of handicap it right now, I would still probably guess that he is the Canucks coach next year. But if that did happen... Has Boudreau really kind of reestablished himself as a high-end NHL coach? Because before he got the Canucks job, he was pretty open about really wanting to get back behind an NHL uh, bench and not necessarily having the opportunity to do so. But I think with what he's done here in Vancouver, if he hit the open market again, I have to imagine there would be a lot of teams interested in his services.
2: Well, I mean, for starters, like what I just said, right? I mean, like, he brings life into a franchise, into a team. He does. Mm-hmm. He absolutely does. He's done it. He a history of that. So you don't have to expect that would happen again, right? But here's the thing, with Bruce, that I think a lot of people don't quite get. You know, he's not a young man. He's been doing this for a very long time. His home base is in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Vancouver is far from Hershey, Pennsylvania, right? So it's, it is an NHL job, and there's no way he would turn it down. And I'm sure if the Canucks want him back, he'll probably say, yes, I'm coming back. But I think he has a, an out clause as well, if I'm not mistaken. And now it's a question of, you know, how badly does he want to stay out there? What does he see of the future for the team? Or is there another job for him somewhere that might be a little closer to his home base that, you know, I don't know. So I'm not – I don't want to speak on behalf of Bruce. I've not heard any of this from him. But this is just kind of in my head of wondering what could happen. And I just know that, you know, he, he loves being in, you know, the East and Hershey and, and around that area. And uh, it, it makes me wonder a little bit, you know, if Vancouver is in his future. There was no way he would turn down the opportunity coach in the National Hockey League. He wanted an opportunity for that, and, and to your point, I think he doesn't... I don't know if he needed to reestablish himself. Mm-hmm. I think he just made himself, you know, um, I guess, relevant again, if you will, but it, he didn't... He, everybody knew the kind of coach he was. Yeah. He was just kind of... Hadn't been around him a little bit, I guess.
0: Which contender do you think has a head coach under the most pressure heading into the postseason? We know probably Sheldon Keefe with the Leafs, of course, but is there another coach with a contender you look at and wonder about? And obviously they might be looking for a veteran coach in the offseason. Who
2: a contender that could be looking for a veteran coach. That's a good question.
0: Because, I mean, it could be uh-huh. Vegas, too, with DeBoer. Everything's kind of happened depending on what happens with yeah. them, right? Yeah, I
2: guess it could be there. I mean, how much do you take into account the injury situation in Vegas? I mean, I don't know how much better of a job anybody could have done there with the injury and the turnover that they've had and uh, trying to work in a star player like Jack Eichel around all those injuries. You know, a, a job that I look at and I wonder, it's not a contender now, is what's, what are the Philadelphia Flyers going to do, Yeah, right? I mean, you think about Bruce you Dubrow, know, Philadelphia, Herschel, I mean, we're, 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 and basically the neighbors, you know, I mean, they're basically, you know, uh, it's as close to you to get, I think, uh, in the league. Maybe I'm mistaken with history, geographically. I'm not sure. But uh, what are the Flyers going to do uh, when, at the end of the season? I don't know if that's Mike Grove's job or if they go out and do a search. And, oh, by the way, Chuck Fletcher is already hired which is a at one, one time already, you know.
1: Well, and Philadelphia is interesting as well, Dan, because not just from a coaching perspective, but they were not expecting to have the season that they ended up having this year, to put it lightly, but they also don't seem like they're ready to embrace a full-on rebuild, and I wonder just from from a player personnel perspective as well, and Look, not to make all, all these ties between the Canucks and the Flyers, but, you know, obviously the J.T. Miller situation is one that's uh, constantly on the front burner here in Vancouver as well. And if you just kind of start to think about, okay, which teams could want to make a splash of some sort in the off season, I wonder if Philadelphia is going to be high on that list just because of how disappointing their year was.
2: The Philadelphia Flyers are not a team that's going to say, go sports jerks and for a rebuild. That ain't happening, right? So I, I agree with you that J.T. Miller could be an option there. Brock Besser could be an option there. There's other guys, obviously, but yeah, to keep it in your market, those two guys should certainly be. Uh, you know, J.T. Miller, another guy. He's from Pittsburgh, really not that far away. You know, not that guys go to play near their home base all the time, but it does make sense. He, he could go in. He could play multiple positions. He's, you know, um, I know he's, he has a relationship there with some of the players already. He did play with Kevin Hayes in New York. So you know, it's interesting for sure. I don't think the Flyers are going to go quietly this off season. They need a retool. There's no question about it. Uh, And there's some guys in there that I think will try to move out, and some other guys that they want to keep in question. But they're not a team that you look at and say, "Well, they don't have the pieces." They got a lot of pieces Mm -hmm. there, and they got a young goalie who they really believe in. But they just need to insulate him a little bit better. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting to me. That is a very They're going to be a team to watch this offseason, no question about it, because it's a big market and they're not ready to say, oh yeah, we'll go on a three or four year rebuild here.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's an organization that does not like losing, no matter what type of form it comes in. Now, uh, Dan, one of the things that's been debated hotly right now is who should win the Hart Trophy. And if you ask people in Toronto, it's a no-brainer. They say Austin Matthews. But are they on to something? Is he the clear-cut favorite or do you have somebody else in mind for the Hart Trophy right now?
2: See, so here's the thing with me for Austin Matthews is, uh, and why I think I would lean towards him. The goal scoring alone is spectacular. 47 goals in his last 47 games. That's ridiculous, okay? So that's number one. Now what's the object of the game? It's to score goals, right? To score goals and keep them out of the net. And Austin Matthews plays a 200-foot game. He's strong in his own end. He plays a lot in the offensive zone because he drives the play there. And I think it's – you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs and you say, would they be a decent team without Austin Matthews? Maybe. Yeah, probably. Okay, maybe they'd be a decent team. They would absolutely not be the team that they are without Austin Matthews. And um, I I don't know. Like, to me, he's the guy – and you look at Connor McDavid, and I can make an argument for him too. uh, But are the Edmonton Oilers in the same position without one of their two guys? I mean, they're – Battling to get in, you know? So maybe they're on the, the bubble out instead of the bubble in without those guys, obviously. But Matthews, I think, has just put the Leafs over the edge even further this season. But the one, there's two guys here that throw a wrench into it for me Igor Shesterkin with the Rangers, and goalies have to have a special year to be named a hard trophy candidate. He's had that special year. Without question, he has been the difference maker for them. They have 24 comeback wins this season, and he's a big reason why. He keeps them in games. And the other guy is Roman Yossi. If he goes out and scores 100 points as a defenseman and the National Predators make the playoffs, how do you not give it to Roman Yossi?
1: Well, and I wanted to ask you about the Norris race specifically, because it, it looked for a while like it was going to be Kale McCars like he was going to have it locked up. But the tear that Roman Yossi has been on is just incredible. As you said, with 100 points potentially in his sights, is it Yossi's to lose now at this point? And the other interesting thing there, Dan, is could you see a scenario even where some people vote... Kael McCarr for the Norris, but Roman Yossi for the Hart on the basis of, well, Kael McCarr is maybe a better defenseman, but Yossi is more valuable to what the Predators are doing.
2: Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. I mean, the, the difference in the trophy is the definition. One's the most valuable player. The other's best defenseman. It doesn't mean to be the most valuable player. You don't have to be the best player. You have to be the most valuable to your team. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, if you the Norris trophy – For the longest time, it has been Kale McCarr, but Roman Yossi has sped past him, I think, because it's not a small sample size that he's lighting it up. This is a long time now. And and let's be honest, I mean, Kale McCarr has Nathan McKinnon and Nico Ransom, and after a while they have Gabe Landisoff, he's got Devon Cave with them, too. Roman Yossi, yes, Duchesne's having a good year. Yeah, he's Johansson, and and, and, is obviously terrific, but. Uh, Roman Yossi is a little bit more on an island than Kael McCarr is, uh, judging by who they play with. So uh, honestly, like I would, I'd be hard pressed not to vote. I don't have a vote, but my vote, if I did have one right now, if you ask me today, it's got to go to Roman Yossi.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it. It has just been unbelievable watching these defensemen, and we have Paul Coffey coming up in the show a bit later on. I can't pick his wait to pick his brain about how these defensemen are playing in the league this year, and you know the trend they're on. But it's astonishing looking at this group of top ten defensemen, and here in Vancouver we have Quinn Hughes, who's an incredible talent, yep. and you know you're talking about one of the most talented players. And like, yeah, I, I clearly believe he's the top ten defenseman in the league. But you go through the top ten, and it's and it's hard to start squeezing guys in. Like it's it's pretty amazing how long. The list of high-powered offensive defensemen are in the league now, and that wasn't the case as much as five or six years ago. Dan,
2: uh, no, I mean the young guys that have come into the NHL, and, you know, in the recent years that play defense have been phenomenal. You've got, you know, look, you got Victor Hedman; he's still elite. Um, Roman Yossi's not a young man, obviously, but he's an elite defenseman. But then, you know, McCarr, Fox, Hughes, Aaron Eckblad is not terribly young anymore, but. He's no question about it, one of the top defensemen in the league. You're right. I mean, you can go on down the list here. and There's a number of them that are there. Charlie McAvoy doesn't get enough, nearly enough credit for how good he is. No question about it. I mean, Jacob Slavin doesn't get enough credit for how good he is. Or Zach Lierenski. I mean, not on, a, on a non-playoff team, but Zach Lierenski terrific. We forget about Seth Jones a little bit because he's been struggling with the Chicago Blackhawks, but still a very good defenseman. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys now who have come into the league. Thomas Shabbat's another one, that are really impact defensemen. Uh, and it's a, it's a great it's a great era for defensemen right now in the NHL, especially young
1: defensemen. Hey Dan, not a lot of drama in the playoff races. Certainly not in the Eastern Conference. Even the Western Conference, you're kind of down to three teams for two spots now. But one of the interesting things in terms of the seeding battle that's happening out east is, with their loss last night against the Leafs, Tampa actually dropped down to a wild card position. The two-time defending Stanley Cups. Now they could easily climb back to a top three spot in the Atlantic, but it does. Does feel like with all the attention that Florida has gotten this year, uh, with what Austin Matthews is doing for the Leafs right now, that Tampa has almost been a little bit under the radar. Is it possible that we are somehow sleeping on the two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning?
2: Well, you better not be. I (laughs) I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't think so. To be honest with you, I think you know they, they're everybody knows how good they are, and everybody knows they're going to be there, and they're struggling a little bit now. You know, they lose to Toronto. Recently lost in a shootout to Montreal. Um, you know they, they, they've had a, a couple of losses here of late, and they've got to get their game together. But I, they're a team that's not not going to be concerned right now about a loss to Toronto on April fourth. They're concerned if they lose four in a row going into the playoffs. You know, in late April. I mean, this is a veteran team that understands what it takes and everything that they have to do. Shouldn't be sleeping on them. They're right there. They could finish third. They could finish second. They could finish in a wild card. Whoever gets them is going to be terrified to play them. And I don't mean scared. Like they're going to go out there and they're going to try to win and believe they can. But they know what they're up against. And you know, you're up. Imagine, imagine the great season you have as the Florida Panthers. Uh, well, it's not going it, to – it could happen, right? I mean, imagine a great season you have as the Florida Panthers and the Carolina Hurricanes overtake you to the top spot and they, you end up playing the Tampa Bay Lightning in the first round. And let's be honest here. I mean, the Florida Panthers have a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. As good as they've been, they won two playoff games last year. Two. And that's all they've won in a very long period of time. So, they got a lot to prove. Tampa doesn't have much to prove. We know what they're going to do.
0: Well, and before I let you go, I I did want to ask you a question about the Carolina Hurricanes because we've seen this team have great regular seasons and then, relatively speaking, kind of fall flat on its face come the postseason. Freddie Anderson has been unbelievable. The goaltending is clearly better this year. But is there a concern about them having enough difference-making potential up front outside of Sebastian Aho and Svechnikov to ultimately go deep in the playoffs? Or do you think they have everything figured out this year?
2: No, I think they got everything figured out this year. The goaltending was the key thing for me, mm-hmm. uh, and they've got that figured out. I remember the, a couple of years ago, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. They didn't win a game, but it was with J- James Reimer and Peter Moravik as their goaltenders, right? Now they got Freddie Anderson in net, and, and he's far more stable uh, in net. And, and, so, and plus, you've got Aho, and you've got um, Tara Vinen, and you've got Svechnikov and Trocek. Max Domi was a nice addition for them. They've got guys who are slotted in the right spot. Slavin, Brady Shea, Brett Pesci, and Tony D'Angelo. That's a good top four right there. So I, I think that they have what it takes now, whereas in years past, maybe you were wondering a little bit just simply because I you were questioning the goal for me, waiting for when it was going to break. Hey,
1: Dan, before we let you go, big news in the NHL today was that Ryan Getzlaff uh, announces that he'll retire at the end of the season. Phenomenal player, has accomplished so much in his career, part of that famous 2003 draft class. What will be kind of your defining memory of Ryan Getzlaff in his NHL career?
2: Uh, one of the most elite power centers in the game. I mean, one of the most elite power centers to play in the last quarter century, the half century, maybe ever. I mean, a guy could do just about everything. He was such a beast uh perry and get became synonymous together he won everything the cups two gold medals and i I, the thing that i really like about this too is the everything that he's got he's the best player in franchise history which is no small thing for any team for any franchise to be the best player in franchise history unless maybe you're talking about like seattle or vegas because they're brand new right um but uh he's going on on his own terms and i think that's great you know like he, uh, he recognizes what he wants to do and the type of life he wants to lead. And he's saying, i, I put in enough of my body to this game right now, and I want to be able to have the second half of my life with my body. And I think that's, you know, great recognition from the guy who played the game hard and battled and was in every corner and all that stuff. And he gets to do it on his own terms, which I think every player, especially if his caliber, would say that's what they want, too.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. Dan, always a pleasure getting you on the show. We appreciate your time, and we look forward to chatting with you again.
2: All right. Anytime,
0: guys. Thank you. Uh, That is Dan Rosen. You can make sure to check him out. NHL.com. Always... Great insight when we have him on Canuck Central. It is Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd on Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650. And, you know, we are going to be talking to Paul Coffey on the other side. So I look forward to that conversation with the Hall of Fame defenseman. And we got into it a little bit with Dan about the top defensemen around the league. And the season Roman Yossi is having, it's is kind of reminiscent of the types of seasons that yeah. Paul Coffey would have. Now, is not going to be hitting 138 points, which was the high that Paul Coffey had in a season. But you talk about a defenseman who crested 100 points five times in his career. And I'm, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about the onslaught of defensemen and scoring in the league now and what that reminds him of.
1: And we were talking about uh, Kale McCarr potentially hitting 30 goals earlier this year. Paul Coffey had a 48-goal season <laughs> from the blue line one year in the 80s. Uh,
0: not bad. Not bad. Is not bad good? at all. Is
1: that good? I that's think that's pretty good.
0: good. I think that's good. All right. Uh, we'll talk to Paul Coffey and more as Canuck Central rolls on on Sportsnet 650.